Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Ben. I'm just trying to think. Oh, hey. You're Ben. Are you hitting record? You hit record already. You're Ben. Hey, welcome. Welcome. To, I'm Ben. You're Matt. And this is a Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome, friends. We were just uh, reminiscing. We no. were. As we were talking, we were actually, like, we were recording these intros to these podcasts, and so we're kind of looking at each other in the same room here. But we're, we're in the same room talking to each other, like, about normal stuff, not recording, but we're hearing each other in our headphones. So matches hit record. And so I do that. Like, I like we're... to start the podcast when you don't think we're starting, uh-huh. just to keep it fresh, keep you on your toes. Keep it fresh. Keep we've... it real. Keep it authentic. We've got uh, a, tr- a treat for you today. Our friend Brandon O'Brien, somebody I've known for a long time who do- is doing great work uh, in New York City with uh, Tim Keller's church planning organization. Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't remember what it's called. I know. City, New City? New City? C- city for the... City to City? City to City. Or for the city. He, he's going to say this in just a few <laughs> minutes, and we'll sound like... There's probably a link in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Brandon is talking... Brandon is really good at helping us see what we can't see, and naming the things we see with, mm. so that we're not inhibited yeah, yeah. or um, diluted by them. And so he's a gift to the church... He is uh, brilliant, and you're going to love this interview. But first, mm-hmm. we were just talking about the fact that we're developing a new year of coaching. This yeah. is li- this is live action here. This is li- real time. We're developing a, a year of coaching on leadership. I know we call it the Gravity Leadership Academy, but the first year is essentially discipleship. The second year is mission. The third year is leadership. We used to do all this in one 15-month 
uh, giant sandwich, but people couldn't open their mouths wide enough, and it got all over their shirt. So now <laughs> we, we split up this meal into three yeah. semesters, and uh, you and I are leading this together along with one of our coaches, uh-huh. Justin Come, Wallace. Yep. And we're really excited, uh, yeah. and it's already full. Sorry. Yeah. I, maybe, yeah. I didn't mean this to like, taunt people. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> yeah, about yeah. this, so that's going yeah, down is, right yeah, now. Yeah, it is exciting. Uh, I feel like this, uh, it's going to be, I feel a little uh, trepidatious trepidatious is that a word trepidatious trepidatious <laughs> feel disconcerted <laughs> anyway uh, uh no i feel uh, a little bit of uh trepidation i'll say it that way uh about it just because i do know how much work it is to develop uh, content i mean we've got you know we've got the outline we've got um we've got a group of people who are really excited and eager um but anyway, I want to let let you guys know that, that kind of is happening behind the scenes. If you guys don't know about Gravity Leadership Academy, that's a big part of what we do. That's um, a big part of uh, how we're able to do this podcast is people get into um, basically these coaching training cohorts with us. And that first year is just all about um, learning to learning to inhabit the world uh, like Jesus, um, learning to follow Jesus in your everyday life, learning to... And that might sound simple, but um, you know, if God's always present and at work, how does that become not just a platitude about, you know, oh, that sounds great, great, God's always present at work, but how do you actually notice it, God at work mm-hmm. in your actual life? How do you actually do that? So basically, that first year of training is all about that, and then we've started to develop all kinds of other implications, and so we have a, a whole year of training that focuses on, as you said, like a second year, but it's it's all about mission, like what, what does it look like to, to live a life on mission and notice what God's doing in the neighborhood, um, and this new one we're developing is all about kind of how uh, how the implications of paying attention to what God is doing, how that yeah. flows into systemic, institutional uh, kinds of realities, board meetings and worship services and yes. a lot of the stuff of the church. Yes, so that's happening, and we want to get to this uh, podcast real quick, but um, but before that, we're doing an Enneagram workshop. Yep, there's in, still space. Still space in that in Carmel. Indiana, which is just north of Indianapolis, Indiana. That's January... 24th and 25th, this Friday and Saturday. Yeah, great. January 24th, 25th, yep. It's really good. Yep, we've got other workshops coming up. We can put links to those in the show notes. It'd be great to see you uh, at uh, at an event uh, at some point, so... I think that's all, that's all we got to announce. Parenting, might be it. parenting. Workshop? We're doing parenting workshop Lansing? in Lansing, February twenty first and twenty second. Yeah. All right. Parenting and a, in grace and truth. And a boot camp in Ohio coming up at the beginning of February. We'll put all this in the show notes. Yes. Come see us. Come meet us. Come hang with us. Uh, and we our workshops, by the way, and our boot camps. We price them. I feel like we price them really well, man. It's like we we work with the local know? churches, uh, yeah. so they're all kind of every once in a while they're priced differently, but but they're really affordable. All you got to do is like say no to your Supersized Big Mac meal, like three days yep. of the week, yeah. and you can afford this. <laughs> Is that how much those cost nowadays? They're like eight, nine bucks. Are they? It costs yeah. a lot of money yeah. to eat junk. Yeah. Oddly. It used to be cheaper All right, well. than your real food. One, one other thing I, I thought of as you were talking about, um, uh, right at the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about, what were you talking about? I was talking I was about gonna, year three. Yeah, yeah. I was going to recommend... If you have not listened to our free audio course oh. um, on seven uh, vital paradigm shifts uh, for seeing like Jesus, you can't see like you can't be like Jesus unless you can see like Jesus. Boom, Pastor. Boom, boom, boom. But uh, if you haven't listened to that, um, I'd encourage you to, to sign up. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's gravityleadership.com slash 
shift, I think. Shifts? Shift? We'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah. But you can sign up for that. It's basically the first few episodes of this podcast mm-hmm. where we talked through our seven axioms for missional living. Um, and it's uh, the, hundreds of people have gone through uh, the course, but if yep. that's new to you and you're not aware of check that, it out. check it out. I wanted to call it, you've never seen a holy shift like this, but you guys yeah, would not yeah, yeah. take that. Yeah. Anyway, get ready. Here's Brandon. We are here. Mm-hmm. You're there. <laughs> We're here mm-hmm. with our uh, my friend mm-hmm. our, and, and soon to be your friend. Ben. Yep, yep. <laughs> I uh, I just met. Uh, Brandon, but uh, we're we're soon to become fast friends. I know it. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon O'Brien. Good to see you. Thank you. Such a uh, pleasure to be here. Great. Well, you, uh, I know you're in New York City. Yep. Are you really? Wow, look at there. I can tell from I can tell from the uh, s- uh, seven foot by seven foot room you're in that you're in an apartment <laughs> in Seven Sit in New York City. No, so um, so Brandon and I met back in seminary. You were a PhD student at the seminary mm-hmm. I attended, and we uh, would have conversations around uh, lunches and maybe interfaced uh, with some similar people. And then, um, I'll get into more of this later, but your, your writing and ministry since then has been a, a huge benefit to me. But will you just give our listeners um, a quick introduction, where you're at, what you spend your time doing? Sure. Uh, so, as you mentioned, living in uh, Manhattan, and I'm working for Redeemer City to City, which is uh, an organization uh, originally part of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, now a separate uh, nonprofit. And we work uh, to train and encourage church planters and pastors in global cities around the world. So we're um, in, I don't remember how many countries, but six continents. Uh, We work with pastors everywhere. My role in particular is in content development. Mm. uh, And so I help to produce the resources that are, you know, print, audio, video, whatever, that help to train and encourage these pastors around the world, which is a really thrilling uh, sort of thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, one of our friends that works with us at Gravity is named Dan Sadler. Do you know Dan? I do know Dan. Yes. They're on Elizabeth Island? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Dan and and his many, many children. Yes. (laughs) Six kids. Six kids in New York. He's got a lot of kids. Uh, They're wonderful uh, kids. They're easy. It's easier to have his eight people over than like any other eight people. <laughs> they're uh, yep. a great family. Yeah, yeah they're that's great. Cool. That's cool. Um, so, Brandon, uh, you uh, made a comment as you came on to the podcast that you were a couple minutes late because you were discussing Kanye and Chick-fil-A. So, <laughs> yes. got, got sucked into a conversation about, as we all do on most, most uh, Friday mornings. So, was this, right. uh, yeah. was this on social media or face-to-face? No, this was an actual real life, uh, yeah, face to face conversation with my <laughs> colleagues. Any anything from that that you want to share with us? <laughs> uh, boy, you know it was hard not to take the bait the first time, and it's hard <laughs> uh, <you laughs> hard not to take the bait this time. <laughs> haven't learned your lesson yet. Well, have you? I think <laughs> I think I think Kanye and Chick Fil A, which uh, that's got to be in some mu- music lyric at some point in the next year, right? <laughs> yeah, because of how it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Um, Rhymes nicely. Maybe maybe the content developer of City Dis 
no, so I think that uh, is actually a good segue into what we want to chat about. We're, mm-hmm. we're going through a series about deconstruction, how to deconstruct mm. our faith without losing it. Not that we want to, but yeah. we find ourselves yeah. it, it happening whether we how want to, it to right. or not. How to right? go through it if, it if it happens to you. Yeah, does, deconstruction's kind of like that, isn't it? It's not like... We wake I up think and I'm going to deconstruct today. Yeah, it's <laughs> we know we come into contact with, yeah, just stuff that bothers us or life. We yeah, we see a new perspective and suddenly we can't unsee things and we're, yeah, we're stuck with either needing to go through this or you know yeah shielding our eyes. So and anyway, I, th- I think that uh, you know just maybe taking uh, Kanye and Chick Fil A, the way that we respond to that, the way that we see that, what bothers us about that, what excites us about that. I think is a good litmus test, perhaps. Maybe like a good Rorschach test. What do you see in Kanye and Chick-fil-A? It tells yeah. a lot about your faith formation, your journey, what's mm. important to you. And I don't know if you, uh, Brandon, uh, see it that way or you, if you see it differently. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Because what I, so the bait that I took earlier is uh, <laughs> that I I think what I, I, and by Chick-fil-A, what I meant in particular was a sort of out, outcry the frustration in the last week or so about their uh charitable giving or giving right. of sandwiches or whatever i'm i'm blissfully ignorant about the details yeah and, me and too. maybe in this i think that they don't matter in this case but i may be wrong about that um that m- the question for me is like why do we need a business to justify their christian convictions why do evangelicals need a business to justify uh, or clarify their convic- convictions yes. on a theological issue, right? Hmm. Um, and why do evangelicals need, why do we need Kanye? And I feel like maybe <laughs> those two things are kind of the same. They're two symptoms of the same illness is kind of what I was thinking yeah. with my colleagues. It was not a popular thought, so I don't know how it's going to oh, go over yeah, well, well, on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, we actually traffic in unpopular <laughs> thoughts here. Um, a, lot, a lot of our listeners, I mean, the reason we're doing a, de- uh, a, a series on deconstruction is a lot of our listeners are in that boat where they're just, they're asking yeah, those yeah. same kinds of questions. Yeah, so like, the, why do we need Kanye? Yeah, the, the question, the way you frame it is a, obviously it reveals some of your assumptions, right, about right. that... Um, what what most interests you about this isn't is it right or wrong to uh, sh- uh, be a patron at a business that 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 ha- that spends their money in ways that bother you, yeah, right? right. Or um, is Kanye a real Christian right. or not? How sincere is his faith? You know, that, those aren't the questions. But right. rather, yeah. you're you're looking at the connection between the people that you work with and for, and the people that we work with and for, and why why do they have so much invested? Mm. That's right. In the legitimacy, the right. cultural legitimacy of Chick-fil-A and Kanye. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, and it seems to me that, that the reason you ask that question is one of the things you we've talked about in the past is that you you do a lot of content creation, a lot of writing, and, and sort of you, you mentioned to me well, your mission statement for writing. I think it connects to that question, the way you're asking this question about Kanye and, and Chick-fil-A. Would you share with us what your mission statement is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm just becoming comfortable with the idea of having a personal mission statement. So if I if I'm awkward about this, I apologize. But I think that it's uh, um, that feels a little grand for what I do. But yeah. the I think the yeah. um, the what I've realized I'm always interested in, what I'm always reading about and writing about, even when I didn't mean to, is uncovering the culture, the unconscious cultural biases that shape my faith. Um, and so I think that that goes back, it actually goes back to the very first 
book, although I kind of like to redo it, which was the strategically small church. Um, yes. Where I was trying to ask questions about like, why do we, why do we assume that big ministries are better than small ministries? Why do we, why do we think in economics of scale instead of local and, you know, um, and uh, organic and, you know, some hmm. of those kinds of different questions. Like what is it that, that predisposes us to value one kind of ministry over another kind of ministry? And then how does that become, just conventional wisdom in right. the literature and in yeah. the training and you know etc. Yeah. I didn't articulate it that way at the time, and maybe it would be helpful if I went back and did that. But um, but I think ever since then, the I have over the last fifteen years probably become more and more aware of filters, uh, cultural filters, cultural biases that I have mm. that I wasn't aware that I had, and mm. once I become aware of them, I realize, holy smokes, that that influences that affects how I see this whole range of things. And now I need to figure out how to resynthesize some stuff. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one and you're like, well, good grief. I just, you know, I kind of just dealt with this. Um, and so I've become much more comfortable with the fact that that's just going to keep happening. Um, and hmm. so that's why I think, yeah, the mission statement is like, let's just be proactive about uncovering those things and dealing with them and, and, um, trusting, uh, in my, uh, you know, Trusting in that my sort of theological conviction in all of this is that the issue does not lie with with God or the scriptures, but in my understanding of God and the scriptures. Right. right? So right. my confidence in those things remains. Yeah. Um, but my confidence in myself is, uh, yeah. you know, sort of <laughs> slipping. Sure. So, yeah. I don't know if that was a helpful answer to your question, no, that's but really I got <laughs> totally, totally helpful. I think this is this. Um, the word deconstruction, obviously coming from like a French philosophical literature world, it, yeah. it can feel very far away, even though it's entered the nomenclature of not only American yeah. culture, but the church. But yeah. when you talk about cultural biases and uncovering cultural biases, I think that's much, you're saying the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So a cultural bias is a construct that, yeah. that you filter and understand reality through. Yeah. And what happens is, at least what's happened for me is I confuse the construct with reality. Yeah. Until I can see the in, until I can see the construct or the cultural bias and then I go, "Oh wait, these are different." Mm -hmm. Like this is a filter for reality or a lens or a frame for reality. Mm -hmm. Um and that that is uh when you first see it, it's mind-blowing. And then you talked about Brandon like, "Okay, how how deep does this rabbit hole go?" Mm -hmm. You know, am I just going to get lost in only looking at my frames and never looking at God or the scriptures again? Yeah. Um, and that's why we're doing this series. And I'm really excited that I, I think you you have a uh, you're practiced in how to do this in a faithful way, and we can learn from that. So, mm. could you? I wonder just just to get us started. Like, could you name? I don't know if there was a seminal moment, like a, a seminal cultural bias, or if there was a, an important bias that started this for you or that feels uh, like it was a the catalyst on this journey yeah well yeah so i think uh i've credited um my college roommate with this in the past and and uh I and and i'll do it again but my college roommate was austrian um he grew up as a conservative uh christian in salzburg and I grew up as a conservative Christian in Bentonville, Arkansas, okay. and uh, we became roommates freshman year, and um, I guess sophomore year, and then lived together for you know all of college and then a semester after. Um, and what was really interesting was learning in relationship to him that there were a whole lot of things that 
I assumed uh, faithful Christians should and shouldn't do that didn't match his assumptions about what faithful Christians should and shouldn't do. Um, drinking alcohol was one of those things, you know, smoking was one of those things, etc. He never dro- drank to excess, but he saw absolutely no problem with drinking alcohol, you know. And I, of course, was, uh, was enculturated to, we don't drink, smoke, cuss or chew or run around with girls that do, you know, that kind of uh, morality. I think the main thing though, the sort of single seminal moment is we visited a church together and in the worship service, there was uh, an American flag on the, you know, on the platform somewhere, which I had seen many, many times before and had, and didn't think twice about. And it really shook him. Uh, It didn't bother him intellectually. It kind of bothered him existentially Hmm. to see that there and so when we were debriefing about it later i asked him like what's the what's the problem and he and he's for him it was you know he obviously does not remember nazism you know but but there's a sort of national socialist blending of church and state Mm -hmm. and that that flag in the worship space brought that to his mind And it had never brought that to my mind. And I was like, no, it's fine. We pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, to the Bible, and to the American flag of VBS. It's just, it's fine. I still remember them all, you know. Uh, And uh, and so I think the, um, so that was a moment where I realized, I I guess the, you know, the first bias was I'm not a Christian, I'm an American Christian. Hmm. And that, that first adjective, American, Mm -hmm. actually is a real significant. Uh, revelation, right? Yeah. I'm an American Christian, and that implies a whole lot of things. And I think, um, yeah, so that's kind of where it started, is that that I am culturally and historically situated. Yes. And I had never, yeah, it took, had never occurred to me before. It took somebody from a different culture uh, who's situated elsewhere for you to yeah. see all these things that you just assumed, you just thought, you thought nothing of them. That's right. And it took somebody yeah. who thought something of them because they were strange and disturbing even yep. to go, "Oh, yep. wait a second, that like there's a different perspective here, but this person shares I think it's especially helpful that he shared your sort of conservative Christian beliefs, right. right? Because you're like, "Okay, this isn't like a some crazy person, some you know, some pagan or yeah. something, you know. <laughs> like this is a person who is a brother in Christ." And so That's right. like, "Oh, I have to take this seriously that He's disturbed by the American flag, and I've That's never right. thought about. I never thought twice about it. Mm. That's right. I trusted him. I respected him. Yeah. He's way more spiritual than I am, you know. And I knew that at the <laughs> time already. Wait, despite the alcohol, <laughs> despite the alcohol, <laughs> he actually married. A, he he married a girl that think, uh, chews red man. So yeah, well, <laughs> think of how spiritual he'd be if he didn't drink. No, joking. Uh, so yeah, but I think it's exactly right. It was it, our relationship was. We had a relationship of trust. We had a relationship of mutual respect, etc. Before we noticed or pointed out each other's, yeah. you know, these differences. Um, yeah. And I think that 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 meant that I automatically received that differently than if yes. somebody had lobbed it at me on social media or something. Yeah. Or or if you had to go through it on your own. I'm just I'm just reflecting right. on so That's much right. of the trouble that people have with deconstruction. When it begins, is they they're doing it alone. They feel alone, at least, and and they don't have any sort of. Uh, it strikes me that you had a concrete representation of somebody who was still maintaining some sort of faithfulness to Christ, and yet had all these different convictions about these things that were maybe shaking for you. And I just yeah. it just it occurs to me that I think that 
a lot of people who are going through these shakings, like when, you know, when their constructs are being challenged or their frames are being challenged, um, they so identify the frame with their faith that it's really difficult to not be afraid um, unless you have a, somebody like you had, your Austrian roommate, who is this concrete example of faithfulness from a different frame. And you're like, okay, well, I guess it's possible. So maybe it's safe for me to ask this question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a safe disruption rather than an attack. That's right. Yeah. Right. So att- attacks are by other people who don't share our values that are telling right. us everything that's wrong about right. American Christianity. Right. And then we just sort of muscle up, right? And uh, no, we, it's right. fine. Yeah, we yeah, let yeah, them have we, it. We double down. Yeah. You know. Um, right. So I think there is something about that. We've we've hmm. sort of teased out the importance of not walking through this by yourself, and having yeah. a community to sort of because this is a you don't deconstruct like in an afternoon. Or you don't, you know what I mean? Or you don't like yeah. see your cultural biases, you know, yeah. as you journal Read in the morning. a couple books and you'll, you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then so then this this was like an aha moment for you. Yeah. And it actually doesn't just change, I mean, it's hard to talk about this. It doesn't just change like how you think about Christianity. Um, it changes your thinking about thinking about Christianity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And I think... Um, I think one of the reasons that I'm very thankful for my um, my education and you know in college I went to a, a Baptist college that has a great uh, biblical studies program I was a biblical studies major and I think it just it created a habit of going to the text right so like I, mm. it, it just kind of a, an impulse to yeah. look in the scriptures um, and so so yes I realize that I'm like interpreting the kind of like accidents of my faith the sort of trappings of my faith what belongs in a worship service who should, you know, who should be baptized and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of, that's not, uh, those things aren't insignificant, sure. but they're kind of like the implications of something earlier, which is like, I have a Bible to deal with. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> if I can get this flag thing wrong as an American, then what am I, what am I not seeing when I read the Bible? Or what am I importing in there when I read yeah. the Bible? Yeah. Um, and then good grief that has, implications for everything right Mm. and so i think it was yeah it wasn't just a matter of like let's argue about the flag it's let's think about the rationale that gets us to the flag in the worship space and then let's look at the texts that get us to the rationale and then let's you know it's a sort of there's the yeah you go way down the rabbit hole you can on um uh, yeah, on where where does it stop? What's yeah. fundamental and what's accidental, and you know, etc. Are the kinds of questions I've been asking, I guess, for a while. Hmm. Yeah, and this uh, probably the the way you're describing this was the genesis, or you're describing maybe the necessity for you then to take everything you you researched and put it into uh, one of one I think is your most important book uh, or helpful book for me is misreading scripture with Western mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that came out what like eight years ago now. Yeah, 2012, so okay. yeah, seven, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. and um, misreading scripture through Western eyes, you go through, uh, maybe maybe you can just describe it. Like, how would you talk about, because to me, this is like, here's all the work I did. Yeah. Like, as I tried to uncover these cultural yeah. biases, can you just give us a brief synopsis of what that? Yeah, is? sure. So, um, just one word of preface, you know, my when I did graduate studies, I thought church history was helpful because that's where I kind of saw in the Christian tradition how you could wrestle with some of these cultural differences because you get somebody like Martin Luther who, you know, just being cranky Marty will say things like, you know, as any reasonable person will agree. And then he says something and yeah. you think, 
I consider myself reasonable and I yeah. do not agree, you know, yeah. so yeah. either like, is he representative of his age? Yeah. So he's right at the time that reasonable people do think this. Right. And if so, how is it, how is it that a, a, the things that a Christian takes for granted in the 1500s can be vastly different than what a Christian takes for granted in the you know 2000s? Like, yes. And so for me, the kind of first significant cross-cultural experience was history yep. and, and just kind of engaging that way. My co-author, Randy Richards, is a, is a New Testament guy specifically with Paul, Paul uh, expert. And so for him, it was uh, in, mission, in missions experience, realizing that the people he was working with in the global South were not reading Paul the same way he was. Yeah. But he and they both thought they were reading the plain meaning of the text. <laughs> right. And so, and so he was like, well, hang on a second. If this is your default, you know, gut level reading and this is mine and they're different, what's happening here? So we, mm. we were talking about that and realizing that we're kind of asking the same questions from different angles. And what we do in misreading scripture with Western eyes is we talk about nine, I don't know if habits is quite the right word, but kind of nine patterns, nine ways that Western people think that that are at variance with the way uh, ancient Near Eastern or Greco-Roman people think. Mm -hmm. And so these are ways that we are prone to misinterpret when we read, yes. right? So they're kind of cap uh, big, big level, meta level categories, things like the difference between we're individualists, they were collectivists. Mm -hmm. We deal in categories of right and wrong and they deal in, these are all generalizations, mm -hmm, obviously, sure. but they deal in categories of honor and shame. Mm -hmm. We like linear chronological sequence gives us meaning, uh, whereas the way time and meaning are related in non-Western cultures is different. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of unpack those habits and try to say, uh, you know, well, we have those habits, like it or not. Right. We will continue to import them and misread through them as long as we are unaware of them. So yes. if we can become aware of them and then go, ha, I wonder if I'm making the mistake of reading this as an individualist instead of as a collectivist, then I've got a tool that I can use to go back into the text. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I think sometimes people hear, you know, that individualism is bad, collectivism <laughs> yeah. is good. Stop right. being an American Christian. You know what I mean? Like, be a <laughs> yeah. different kind of Christian. Be an ancient Near Eastern Christian. And it's not, right. we can't be. Like, we are That's American right. Christians. We are, we've been enculturated into this world. And so it's, it's not a matter of uh, stepping out of that or becoming something different. It's a matter of, as you said, becoming aware of it. Yep. So now, now it's something that doesn't uh, dominate my interpretation or uh, cause me to like misread without realizing it. Now it's something yeah. I can be aware of. Yeah. Um, because we all, we all have to have a frame, right? 
There's no such thing as like, oh, if I can just get rid of all these constructs and frames and just get access to the pure thing, but we, but we can't do that. Like we, we perceive things. We have to take them in through language and are, are just a ways of perceiving. Well, and this is, so I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to say this. So if this isn't clear, Forgive me. Maybe in ten years it'll be clearer. Okay. But we'll have you back I'm, on. <laughs> thank you. I'll look. I'll look forward to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we. So I think that part of the reason we go. So evangelical Christians, especially, mm-hmm. want to know that we're we're getting the real, true, objective meaning yes. from the text, right? Right. right. The, yep. the, because of the authorial intention, God writes the scriptures. Right. Uh, then we don't want to know. What matters is not how I feel about it or what right. it means to me, but what did it mean to God? What does God want us to know in this yes, passage? Yes. But I actually think that the more we um, kind of delude ourselves into thinking that we are having an objective yes. perception with the text, yeah. the less likely we are actually to get the objective meaning of the text. Come yes. on, Brandon. And, yeah. and yeah. so if we we actually have to have a more subjective engagement in order to get a more objective interpretation. Yes. That makes sense, right? Take yeah. all, take all my money. deep theological <laughs> irony. <laughs> yes. No, but I... So, yeah. Brandon, I, I just want to say law for a second. That is yeah. so freeing for people. Yeah. They feel trapped between having to argue for this objective interpretation that they yeah. know d- they have deep down fears and doubts that that's even possible. Mm. Or, uh, man, if I just go to the subjectivism, which is yeah. sort of the pejorative way of talking about what you're describing, it's the, yeah. what you, we all know this, right? It's the slippery slope. That's a Christian swear, by the way. It's a slippery yes. slope. <laughs> Into just, there's, In, the text has no meaning. I make it right. mean whatever yeah. I want it to mean. Yeah. 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 There's a, um, and what yeah. you're and what you're naming is like this is this is what we need like a faithful guide through that I, th- I think it's a a sucker's choice mm. right the way that's f- way I just framed it that's the way most yeah. of us feel it into a more faithful um, uh, deeper understanding of how scripture is inspired and how we participate in that yeah yeah well and I'm encouraged by uh, you know there are a handful of stories in scripture where. I, the one that keeps coming to my mind is the you know when Nathan confronts David mm. um, in First uh, Samuel sixteen, oh sixteen uh, somewhere. Let's call it First Samuel. In one of the Samuels. <laughs> in one of the you Samuels. Know, I re- one of the Samuels. In one, <laughs> one part of the, of the Old Testament. I'm pretty sure this is Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. You know what I do, Brandon? Uh, just to show, just to show how uh, biblically woke I am, uh-huh. I'd stop uh, quoting uh, chapters or verses and just say oh. First Samuel. Yeah. And they're like, where, where in First just, Samuel? I'm like, well, just don't you have it memorized? Don't you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> turn it back on them. You're relying just, on this uh, monk in the 15th century. I just started to give calling verses. it uh, in our sacred text. <laughs> the Holy, just call it the Holy Scriptures. Somewhere in the Holy Scriptures, there's a story about a king. Anyway, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Nathan, 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 David. Yes. Nathan confronts David. Nathan confronts David with a with an obviously fictional story. Right. about a man who has a sheep and a wealthy man who takes the sheep, right? Right. And David's response is uh, not fictional. It is it is visceral and emotional. He's right. angry. He's angry and, at that guy. And justice needs to be done, right? right? Yep. Even though he knows it's a fictional story. And I take that to, to think, man, if that's the way we're supposed to be engaging hmm. scripture, right? Like that it's not a an objective cerebral experience. It's a... I don't want to say confrontational in a negative sense, but it is a, it's a, it's a full-bodied, you know, full-spirited 
engagement. It's a full contact sport. Full contact sport. Yeah. A full contact cross cultural experience. Yes. Um, you have to. That has to be subjective, right? You've got to bring all of you to that. Yeah. Um, and you have, but I think you know, at least for those of us who don't know that we have biases yeah and we got to know what they are first before yeah. we can kind of bring them with right. us and there's and no uh, way for us to know what they are unless we're honest about how this text how we're reacting to it that's you know right. what i mean like there's no and so i i think that's a great way to put it that in being real about how the text makes you feel or how you react to it like you're not just assigning meaning to like okay this is going to mean whatever i want it to mean you're actually discovering what it might mean like you might be discovering a deeper way that it has meaning yeah. by being honest about how it hits you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at least for you right now. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think this is especially important if we're going to say like the, the scriptures aren't a set of facts that we're supposed to like have in our brains. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is the God, like if we're going to be Christians, this is God addressing us. He's speaking to us. And so there is going to be something about it that hits us differently at different times because there's something different going on. God wants us to move in a new direction. You know what I mean? So I, I, I love the way you're putting this. Yeah. It's really helpful. Yeah. What struck me too, Brandon, as you were sharing that story, I thought about this before, but maybe not in the same way, is that uh, Jesus relies on the subjectivity of his hearers in order mm. to receive and respond to what he's saying. Mm. So he's not demanding objective perception. Yeah. And just one instance of this is, you know, I think there's a... You know, I think the um, the creative and um, nomen- the the art- artifacts, cultural artifacts for like Israelites were just so thick and deep. We've got like pop culture, and I could quote an an Izzo song, and nobody would know what uh, that is. Or I could quote like a, a new meme, and maybe you haven't seen it. But in Israel, it's like ev- like the the memes and the pop culture were like the scriptures and the stories mm-hmm. we told, and they kind of all traded on those in mm-hmm. ways that it's harder for us to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, when Jesus when Jesus tells the story of the of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one that's lost. And then we're told explicitly that people are mad that Jesus is going to find the one that's lost in a context of a shepherd story, and then tells a story where the mad people have to reckon, like the prodigal son, have mm-hmm. to have to reckon with where they are in that story. Like the, the yeah. entire, that prodigal son story is coming out of a context where Jesus is evoking sort of this prophetic Nathan, shepherd, yeah. sheep, yep. David's mad, these people are mad, David needs to repent, these people need to repent, yeah. right? Yeah. And there is, yep. the, the, the prodigal son ends with an implied, you are that man. You are that brother. son, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. without without Jesus trading on the subjective location of where his people are and, and speaking to them, not in yeah. this objective realm of like, you know, some sort of platonic realism, but like really right in the guts of where they're yeah. at, it, we can't even understand that story. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus isn't sort of like doing an academic exercise here. Like, what are some true things about God that you might know? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell a story. No, it's like, a, it's a location. There's a context. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's like, "All right, let me let me tell you a story that's going to help you understand where you're at, yeah. and mm-hmm. what a dangerous place this is for you." You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, so well, then, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Well, and I, I have been um, increasingly uh, sort of shaped by the way that Jesus disrupts and disorients and, and helps to deconstruct the his disciples yes. frameworks right mm. and one of my favorite stories which i do mention at the beginning of this uh new book uh, not from around here is when jesus calls his first few disciples one of the not long after that uh they're fishermen he takes yeah. them 
to the house of a tax collector who is a tax collector by the sea, yeah. uh, which I have to mean assume I have to assume that means he's collecting taxes from the fishing yes. industry, right? That's yeah. going on there, and he doesn't at least in the at least in the text he doesn't preface it he doesn't prepare them he just takes them yeah to dinner yeah and it's sort of like deal with it you yeah. know this is this is what we're doing now yeah and they are you know and that and this is uh category shattering for them right yeah. they had imagined a faithfulness that looked one way jesus who they trust and respect is introducing them to a faithfulness that looks a different way yes um, and he's not doing it real gently, to be perfectly honest. He's just kind of tossing them in the deep end, and he's going to walk them through it. They're going to they're going to yeah. debrief whatever. Um, but I think it's a really uh, yeah the that it's a like the ministry of disorientation. He kind of knocks yeah. them off balance, and then they have an experience, and then he talks about the kingdom, and then mm -hmm. he knocks them off balance again. Yeah, and they talk about the kingdom, and I think that's uh, that's it's. So to do that now is not in somehow in some way unfaithful. It's actually in some way to do that's yeah. what Jesus is doing in discipleship, right? The spirit um, is always I doing don't that. feel the, the spirit is always doing that. I feel less qualified than Jesus, obviously, to lead in that right. process. Right. But I think that it's but that's what he's doing. He's yes. it's disorienting and reframing, disorienting and reframing. Yep. And that's a really that's powerful. Yeah. But you need that experience. Like Jesus Jesus knew he couldn't do a four week class on you know, why we should accept tax collectors, you know, or why we should, you know what I mean? Like he didn't do a class on it and try to tell them, here's why we should do this. He just threw them into the deep end and then said, all right, let's deal with what's going on right now with you. Yeah. 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 That's uh, particularly, I think, helpful because, I mean, when I came to faith, I heard a lot of sermons like, look how Jesus is correcting all this bad Jewish theology mm. and all these legalists. Yeah. And now now that Jesus has corrected it, mm -hmm. we can trust that we hold the correct way of seeing things. <laughs> right. So we yeah. don't we don't have to take our place as, you know, the Pharisees or as the disciples. We take our place as the enlightened ones who've been delivered the scripture. Yeah. And what you're saying, Brandon, mm. is something different is mm. is uh, no, this is always how God's at work. God's yeah. always disrupting and disorienting and and maybe we could say deconstructing in a way, yeah. bringing us back mm -hmm. to faithfulness. And that's the life of a disciple. That's yeah. that's the mm -hmm. life of of faith. It's yeah. not sort of we don't get delivered this here's stories of other people being disoriented yeah <laughs> read it right. so you don't have to be <laughs> yeah i mean again if we're going to take if we're going to yeah. take it seriously if we're going to take the bible seriously as the word of god and jesus is that word and this is the the ministry that he has to his own disciples is disorienting well then i i think if i'm reading it as a christian but and i'm not being regularly disoriented or challenged in my reading of scripture like you know, maybe I maybe I do need some deconstruction. You yeah. know what I mean? Like maybe deconstruction is the best thing that ever happened to you, because mm -hmm. you're finally starting to to actually be challenged by God's word. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Well, I, I do want to talk about this new book because you talk about rural <laughs> rural America, suburban America, and and how our cultural location in America even. Even that's yeah. as complicated. What, what is the new book? What's uh, it called? It's called uh, Not From Around Here. What okay. unites us, what divides us, and how we can move forward. Which feels like you're tapping into the zeitgeist, but also oh, pointing yeah. towards the New Jerusalem, which we really need. <laughs> um, yes. I just want to say this, just as we move on from misreading scripture with Western eyes, I have found myself, and I can't think of another book I've done this for, Bran. I've found myself at conferences next to the InterVarsity table, uh, unplanning like unplanned, spontaneously 
giving an apologetic for why people need to buy your book. <laughs> people I don't even know. Uh, I've done this multiple times with people looking at books, and I see your book there, and I'm reminded of how much benefit I receive from it, and I, I find myself selling your book to people. I think I've sold at least two, if not three copies of your book. So I, I just want to say, it's, uh, I said this to Ben before we started, I think it's one of the top five books in the last 10 years I've read. Wow. So helpful for me. Wow. So well, helpful. You. So, so two or three more just uh, have I, we'll put people a link in, to it. We'll put we'll a link put a in the link. show notes and um <laughs> and then uh I, I can't say the same about your new book because I haven't read it yet, but I do want to <laughs> No but, guarantees. <laughs> but I think, but got a good track record. But yeah, I appreciate I mean, your honesty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's half as good as misreading scripture, it's worth the read. Uh no, I, I want to hear more about it. What what prompted yeah. you to write this book? I know you're living in like a huge city. Yeah. You were you know, you're from a smaller town in Arkansas. So you yeah. You know, and I think you went to OBU, yeah, in Arkansas? Yeah, I went to Washita in Arkansas, yep, and then Wheaton in uh, Chicago suburbs. Um, and so, yeah, so the, it, the book came out of a discussion with a uh, publisher, uh, with the, the editor at Moody Publishers who, uh, who arranged this. We were talking about, especially after the 2016 election, yeah. the sense of, uh, it, it's, you know, it's like people on the coasts started paying attention to that big span of, America between the coasts, the big red America. Um, yeah. And wondering what happened, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and everybody in the middle of America was like, of course this happened, you know, this was, and so this yeah. sort of sheer, uh, vast, uh, difference in perspective among white Americans in America at the same time in history. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting to me. I did not really want to wade into the, um, the, uh, debates about urban and rural suburban etc or yeah. just statistics about like how they're different or how they're similar or whatever i read hillbilly elegy and i thought that was, that was really compelling but on the other hand it sort of creates a new kind of single narrative about um yeah. rural america that didn't resonate with me so mm -hmm. I, th I i thought it was well done but i also grew up in rural america and in a you know lower middle class family and and did not really until he got to grad school in his story, didn't relate to any of it. Yeah. But then when I got to grad school, I also thought like, oh, there's people here who know how to play the game and I don't. And that's a, it's a weird mm. feeling. But that really the rest of it, I didn't resonate with. Um, but what I thought was um, that this is an interesting opportunity for self-reflection. So it's not, a, it's not as much, uh, my goal was not as much to tell everybody what they ought to think but to invite them to recognize how they are shaped by the places that they live. Hmm. And if somebody else is also shaped by the place that they live, then, um, then it makes sense that you disagree because you show up and you grow up, you're shaped by yeah. different places, yeah. right? And if we can inspire a little empathy and self-reflection and humility, then maybe we can figure out how to work together, right? Man. So that's great. Um, that was kind of the motivating factor and also this, the kind of, anecdotally at least the feeling that the urban rural divide is not strictly a broader culture thing mm. the, i think rural christians and urban christians have the same sort of animosity towards each other as right. rural and urban non-christians yes and so the issue for me is how is it that our regional affiliations are more significant yes in this moment than our than our faith theory. yes dude so that's kind of the that's the context. I love that. In the background, dude. Uh, in, uh, incidentally, um, that is uh, right in line with your personal mission statement. Sounds like. 
So right, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be able to, do, to yeah, exactly. It was about halfway through this yeah. process that I realized that was the personal mission statement. Yeah, I was like, oh, right. I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't help. I can't help but do this. I cannot do oh, this. It's so helpful. It's such helpful work. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just see the similarities there, where you know, modern Western uh, eyes versus ancient Near Eastern eyes. And now, you know, within the modern West, you're saying rural eyes versus urban eyes. Yeah. And how, like, these are, these are lenses that perhaps, th- and this is maybe why, you know, people who, again, share a lot of sort of doctrines of the faith can be so baffled at one another, mm-hmm. that maybe our, maybe our location in terms of our ur- urbanness or our ruralness, maybe that is more defining than we realize because we haven't, na- we haven't taken the time to name what those lenses are. Um, and right. we've just been like, man, how could that person think that way? That's you know, that's baffling to me. Um, so anyway, I want to read this book now. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe You've made a good apologetic for your own book. Yes, great. Yeah. <laughs> great, thanks. I, I, I probably needed to do that to get it published, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, good pitch. Yeah. Um, what, one of the yeah. things I hear consistently with the people we interface with at Gravity, Brandon, is I hear Christians, you know, Orthodox, Evangelical, Bible believing Christians, saying that, um, <clears throat> you know, and I. Uh, I talked to somebody on the other side, let's just take it, the political spectrum, who has the same, who could sign the same affirmation of faith for me, and I feel like I have less in common with them than a, a secular unbeliever who has a more political frame that's more yeah. aligns with me. Yeah. And I, I, mm. I don't remember that being the case 20 years ago. Yeah. It feels like something's rapidly shifting in our culture, and it's, pol- it's polarizing and creating these binaries, mm. but that's a really disorienting thing, I think, for right. for many people we talk to who are like you know what if if that's what it means to be Christian I guess I'm right. not Christian anymore. Right. Um, have you inter- have you encountered that? Do you have thoughts about how to help us navigate hmm. and understand that divide? Yeah. So what you're what you've articulated there anecdotally I think holds up un- with statistics. So there are, there is some research in the book. I've just tried to bury it under stories because I think the stories are more helpful. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so that's a, that's a you'll have to decide and tell people if it works, but it was a, a mm-hmm. self-conscious effort to say, I don't think people's, people's original biases are not shaped by research. No, right. I don't think their new biases are not going to be shaped by research either. Yep. It's going to be shaped by experience. And so tried to give people an experience in the book and we'll yes. see if it works. But the, the research says that Christians in say Arkansas, my home state will vote more similarly to non-Christians in their region than they will to Christians in another region, right? Yes. So like our voting patterns are determined by our region, not by our faith primarily. Okay. Yep. The interesting thing is if you ask Christians in Manhattan why they voted the way they voted and then ask Christians in Arkansas why they voted the way they voted, they'll both say, I voted according to my Christian convictions. Yes. And yet they voted differently. And so, you know, that's baffling, right? To say that um, we, as you said, kind of all ascribe to the same statement of faith. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of sort of sociological reasons for that, that, you know, population density correlates with, um, you know, a a view that the government ought to uh, intervene more in more parts of human life and having lived here for a couple of years i think right because if they don't what what are you going to do there's going to be chaos right yeah exactly yeah yeah. so i mean when when the average apartment uh is you know like i think the average rent is nearly three thousand dollars a month and the average income is like fifty thousand dollars a month the the math doesn't add up and so you got to figure out like how or fifty thousand dollars a year you have to so you have to have regulation to keep 
people safe and fed and yeah, fair yeah, and, yeah. you know, et cetera. But, you know, my dad lives literally two miles down a dirt road from a town of 80 people. Yeah. And when you sit on his back porch and look at the White River and start thinking about government regulation, you think you don't you don't need that here. Right. I mean, yeah. you just leave people alone that do their own thing, you know, yeah. et cetera. And so but that's the but you have to kind of be aware of the fact that those things that are shaping you first are your cultural location, yeah. the community around you that reinforces yes. the lessons you're learning from yes. your place. Yeah. And then we overlay faith. our faith yeah. and say, ah, I see a justification for this conviction in this passage. Yes. Right. I see a justification for this conviction in that passage. Yes. And that's the move we all make naturally. Yes. yes. Right. right. Um, and so it's not nefarious. It's not evil. It's just right. being a human being. Yes. Um, but we do tend to live in communities that are homogenous, mm-hmm. ethnically, socioeconomically, denominationally, you know, whatever, ideologically. Yeah. Um, and we live in a culture where uh, I think any any give and take is viewed as abandoning your in-group, right? So like right. acknowledging that that person who's ideologically different from you has a point is the first step in just That's now a slippery you're slope. one of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're back to the slippery <laughs> slope again. Yeah. Um, so uh, the gov- the, yeah. our broader cultural um, systems, forms of communication, media, yeah. et cetera, punish getting out of your, yes. your homogenous group, right? Yes. Uh, and so I continue to think, I have to admit at this point, I've forgotten the original question. No, this is <laughs> fascinating <laughs> and brilliant. This is great. <laughs> Love it. No, I just, I was just talking <laughs> about how you can, you can be a Christian from New York City or a Christian from yeah. Bentonville, Arkansas, uh-huh. and, uh, and vote for two different people yeah, yeah. or see the That's world right. in two different ways, yeah. and, you, right. and you would sign the same statement of faith. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And, and so what I hear you saying is this. I, I mean, you and I come from, uh, we went to the same seminary. And um, so we come from a very, uh, kind of have a similar, our, our water traveled in the same stream for a bit. Mm. Yeah. And um, what, I, what I hear, another way to say what you're saying, maybe a more provocative way, <laughs> is to say that um, uh, Bible-believing evangelicals have cultural captivity too. Like yeah. our faith is also culturally captive. And the only way out of that isn't to decry how the liberals are culturally captive or the Catholics are culturally captive. But to deal with our own captivity, mm-hmm. like name it and be honest about it, because uh, other people they can see it just fine. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like that's not surprising to them. But I think yeah. that's what you're what you've been writing yeah. on for like you know 15 years, Brandon. Is yeah. maybe not yeah. those words, but yeah. but friends, let's name these things because if we don't, they control what we can see and how we see. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. and that is such a gift to the church, brother. Yeah, thank you so, so much. important. Yeah. yeah, so maybe bringing it full circle. Sure. Do a little. Let's do a little like in real time as we wrapped up here, like uh, cultural analysis. Um, why do we need Kanye and Chick Fil A? <laughs> uh, why do yeah, we need them to be legitimated? Yeah. Not do you have, yeah. Do you have thoughts? About validated. That? Yeah. This is the third time, so it's Trinitarian and yeah. the shape you know, of I can't it. Avoid it, right? Yeah. You, um, I, you know, my kind of working theory is that in our cultural moment, we need some. We need someone to be uncompromisingly uh, evangelical in their beliefs and practice who is successful. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't cost them money and it doesn't cost them cultural relevance or clout. Mm-hmm. So Kanye and Chick-fil-A have at this, at this moment in history are uh, successful capitalists who are um, 
unashamedly you know have have very conservative you know chick-fil-a have very conservative values on certain yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. social issues and they close on sunday and they're still successful capitalists which yes. is pretty amazing god bless them. um and they uh and despite all of that they flourish and they grow and etc yeah. and i yeah, think yeah. in this moment where so many evangelicals feel embattled yes. we need to see someone do well in the culture on the culture's terms in, cert- in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, so they're yep. successful in the eyes of the culture, but they're also keeping our in-group values yeah. and it doesn't cost them anything. Mm. Um, and I think what worries me is that we want it to not cost them anything. Um, yeah. And yes. so I'm sort of reading this in light too of, uh, I recently talked to a Chinese uh, pastor, a Chinese brother who's in our, um, you know, who, I've, who I met through a mutual friend. And he was talking about the recent persecution in China. And he said, what, what, we, we are grateful for the persecution because hmm. it has taught us that we did not love the way of the cross. We loved our Western um, uh, sort of middle-class comfort that we'd enjoyed oh, yeah. for the last generation. And this persecution showed us that. Wow. And because it showed us that, we're grateful for it. We repent and we're grateful. And I was listening and I was like, yeah, but I like my comfortable middle class, <laughs> class yeah. right. lifestyle. But if you had the nuggets from Chick-fil-A dipped yeah. in that sauce? <laughs> and I think, I think he helped me see that. that like that's, I think that's what it's at stake is we need a hero who can prove that it's possible to have it all. Yeah. Um, but then that also gives us a scapegoat because, you know, if, if Chick-fil-A gives an inch, then we'll criticize them for, uh, for compromising culture yeah. and compromising their values. And then we've got an out like that, you know, now we can kind of publicly shame them and, and that's good for us too. And I just think, man, it would be really good to sit with that and to say, why do we need them? Why is it important to us that this, this, uh, you know, this co- company yeah. has a theological position on a cultural yeah. issue? Like, why is that important yeah. for us? And why is it important for us that Kanye is, you know, is uh, is sincere and he's accepted and he's all? Why is that important for us? Yeah. Um, not meaning any disrespect to either Dan Cathy or Kanye West. No. Yeah. Sure. I think either you, of that, those really. In, that's not really the interest. Yeah. The the right, issue yeah. is beneath the the issue, and this is what I like about your work, Brandon. Is is you're asking questions that go a little bit deeper than the questions ninety five percent of the talk is about. Yeah. It's just like, wait, why is this so important to us? Like you know why why isn't Kanye just like oh that's interesting yeah hope hope, hope he uh, hope he thrives in his faith if uh, you know yeah. like why is right. that why is it a big deal yeah I hope yeah. Moody's listening because you just pitched your next book <laughs> so let me let me give you the working title the working title is um, power popularity and pennies mm-hmm. how the American dream has co opted the kingdom dream of Jesus wow especially. And- Kanye and Chick Fil A. <laughs> well, put them in there. I mean, Kanye and Chick Fil A, though th- uh, they are a mirror. Yeah, yeah, they're a yeah. mirror. They're not the problem. That's the scapegoating mechanism. Is yeah. oh, they're the problem. Let me. Uh, here's a tweet. I'm going to dunk on Kanye for preaching at Joel Osteen's church, and then I, you know, I feel better about how I would never do that. And right, you know, right. whatever. And then but, your in group is like, yeah, retweet, retweet. But retweet. Kanye is just like yeah. this uh, exponentially magnified picture of what's wrong with me, mm-hmm. right? You know, if 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 I think that's wrong, it's just mm-hmm. he's like he's the he's this projection. He's high definition of what kind of hides in like my, you know, um, my my little dot matrix printer email. You know, it's like <laughs> you know I have this very little small symptom of a large, much larger problem. Yeah. So anyway, Brandon, I'd love to, I'd read that book. Yeah. 
and we'd, we'd have you back <laughs> on to you. talk about it. Uh, thank you for your work. Uh, thank yeah. you for um, letting me goad you into sharing your thoughts on Kanye and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> You're very gracious. It was inevitable. Yeah, yeah thanks. <laughs> and uh, God bless your work there with, um, it's, it's called City. City to City. City, 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 to, city. to City. Yeah, yeah. God bless that yeah. work. Thank yep. you so much. This has been a real joy for me. Thank you so much uh, and, a, and an encouragement. I appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah. you too. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.